Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? I want to speak a little bit louder because I think you guys at the back might battle to hear. Can you hear? All good? Awesome. I must admit, uh, thanks, Fisher. I must admit, is this, is this where I can walk? Eh? Oh, is this my boundary? Okay. I feel claustrophobic. I must admit, I haven't seen this many jerseys in Richards Bay for a long time. So it's good. I can smell a, a few mothballs, but uh, good to be here this morning. Good, uh, good to see you all, and uh, thanks for making the time to come out. To you guys online, lovely to have you. If you are sitting inside, you should be a, a little bit warmer than us, but hey, we're building our faith outside. So uh, next time, come and join us. It is great. As Chaz mentioned, Brent is all the way down in Scottborough, and uh, just... A reminder who the church in Scottborough, I mean Stuart Kilmartin and his wife and family lead that team and they graciously donated the money to put this roof on. So just imagine with me for a second how weird it would be not to have this roof on right now. So let's give him a round of applause and thank the Lord for his gracious gift. Alrighty, what a journey we have been on. I don't know about you guys, but I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this journey. And I think this is week 10. Um, So this has been definitely one of our longer journeys. But I do have the privilege, as Chair said, to land this journey today. So I'm really excited about that. And just to rewind a little bit and and allow you in on how we decided to jump into a journey such as this. Now, normally as a preaching brainstorming team, we'd get together. And we always want to find the place where God is wanting to lead us from as a church. We want it to be relevant for us. We want it to be applicable for us as a church. We want to be, as God's people, where He wants us to be. This journey was a little bit different, however. What we felt specifically for us was it was time for us to drop the us, the we, and the me, and to focus solely on the He. It was time for us to discover and and unpack the very greatness of who God himself was. To understand that in this world, our circumstances and situations will always change. That's a given. But the nature, the character, and the greatness of God will never change. You see, his name will never change. And for you and I, that very name, as we should know very well by now, is a strong and fortified tower. You know, our, uh, our key scripture for the journey that we find in Proverbs 18.10 NLT says it's a strong fortress. It's this very name that we get to as children of God run to and are safe. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, well, maybe you've heard this a few times throughout the journey and thinking, how the cornflakes do I run to God? Well, can I say, simple solution, but trust in wholeheartedly in His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus came to do away with the separation between us and God. Jesus is the very gateway to the Father. We can only be near to God through Jesus Christ. Now, I really did enjoy what Quinton said last week about do we truly have the revelation of God inside of us? And honestly, we need to ask the question, do we have the revelation of Jehovah Adonai, God, the sovereign one? Do we truly have the revelation of God as Jehovah Jireh, the one who will provide? As Jehovah Nissi, our banner. As Jehovah Shalom, our peace. I believe that once we truly catch this revelation inside of us, 
then that would automatically ignite the going. Because I can say with confidence, if we truly catch God's word, then it cannot remain stagnant inside of us. Because God's word is alive and active. It empowers, it initiates, it sustains. It gives us the things that he wants us to do. So as we embark on journeys such as these, I believe our goal, and this is for all of us, is to gain a greater revelation of who God is in our hearts. So part number, many today, and uh, the last of the I Am journey. And uh, so today I would love for us to land with a bit of a faith-stirring and trust-building message as we learn more about the name of God, which is Jehovah Emeka. Jehovah Emeka, I think that's how you pronounce it. And that simply means the Lord is with you. Now, uh, straight off the bat, uh, a moment of honesty. I, uh, I didn't think I would make this sermon this weekend. Um, in fact, I was actually quite convinced I wasn't going to make it. You see, starting the week off with a child that wasn't well, and let me tell you, they might not like sharing their food, but they do their germs. A work week which seemed to consume every moment of my time. One or two other things that I simply had to get done this week. And the fact that I probably started a bit late in preparing this message meant that I was under the pump. I was facing a mountain that I could not see a way over. So uh, what every good husband does, he offloads all of this onto his wife. And then she proceeded to ask me what the title of my sermon was. I mean, how dare she? And I said it was Jehovah Emeka. The Lord is with me. Ah. And then I realized we serve a very gracious God. And a very humorous one as well. So here we are. We serve a very gracious God. And a very humorous one. So let's dive in then. And I'd love for us to turn to the book of Judges. uh, Judges 6. And we're going to find the story of a man named Gideon. Now Gideon, funny enough, couldn't also see a way forward. Gideon's mountain... I will admit, was a slightly bigger mountain than I was facing. And maybe you sitting here this morning and you facing a slightly bigger mountain than I faced during this week. But what we see is Gideon learning to trust in the name of God, Jehovah Emeka. God is with me. And because he does, he becomes one of the greatest Old Testament movers and shakers. So Judges 6, and we're going to read quite a bit of scripture. I love reading scripture. If you've heard any of my other sermons, we do uh, go through a bit. So Judges 6, 1 to 16 says this. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, Marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. 
He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave them you their land. Their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah. Now when I was practicing that, I made certain I didn't say Oprah. <laughs> sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abiza. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with, with you. There we have it, Jehovah in Mecca. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Isn't that an incredible story? And I can just imagine Gideon's response as he's told, Hey, little man, I'm here, and I want to send you to go and fight against this entire army, and, and I'm going to give you victory over it. And I think, to be honest, this would be the response of many of us sitting here. Maybe just me. That, surely, Lord, how can it be me? So then, what can we learn from this story of God that involved a man named Gideon that would better help us trust in this name, Jehovah Emeka? I want to pull out four points from the story. Number one, know that God does not orchestrate but allows tough times for a reason. God does not orchestrate but allows tough times for a reason. Now, as we navigate through the book of Judges, all the way up to Judges 6, we see that Israel is actually coming off quite a good time. I mean, the bills are paid, ESCOM is on, the kids are not sick, they're back at school, everything is just peachy. And as it so often happens, even with us, Israel forgot God. They became self-sufficient. They didn't need God, and so what he allowed was an enemy to rise up against them. Verse number one says that the Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites. Now, I really want you to hear what I'm saying this morning here. I'm not saying because you have done evil, you might be facing a tough time this morning. That is not my jurisdiction. But what I'm saying is, let us look at the story of Gideon and see what ways we can or what things we can put into practice that will help us to fully understand and know God as Jehovah Emeka. So these Midianites were extremely powerful, and they basically abused the Israelites. It said every year they would come and invade them. And this is just before harvest time. I mean, those potatoes are ripe for the picking, and yet the Midianites would come in and abuse the guys. Coming in such vast numbers that they look like locusts. Yikes, and I thought my week was bad. 
This went on for seven years until they decided to finally cry out for help. Why do you think they waited so long? Because once again, they're much like us. They waited until every other, other possible option had played out before they cried out to the Lord. How many, times have, how many tough times have come upon us and yet we wait so long to ask the Lord, what are you planning in this season? What are you doing, Lord? And uh, you know, personally, just as, we've, as I've journeyed in this, in this journey of, of work in particular, so many times that we face a, a, a tough time at work and I've jumped in as quickly as I can to try and fix it and only for a few weeks to look back and think, oh Lord, why didn't I just ask, what were you planning? What were you doing? And why did I have so little faith that you were with me in that moment? You see, every experience in life is a test and an opportunity. And every tough time as children of God is designed to draw us nearer to God, not to push us away from Him. Our Father is a Father who wants to be near to us, not far away from us. He wants to be with us. C.S. Lewis said it like this, God whispers in our pleasures, He speaks in our conscience, but He shouts in our pains. It's His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Number one, understand that God uses tough times for a reason, usually to catch our attention. Number two, know that God sees more in you than you see in yourself. Know that God sees more in you than you see in yourself. The wonderful thing about God is that all, although we are slow to respond to him, and come back to him, he is never slow to respond to us. Verses 7 and 8 show us that when we cry out to God, he moves in compassion and love towards us. He tells us the truth and then he begins to help us. He first sends a prophet to Israel, calling them back to full surrender and devotion to him. But then his plan also included the most unlikely man in Gideon. And I say most unlikely but because where we meet Gideon, is hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. Now, normally, you want to thresh wheat out in the open because you need the wind to blow the chaff away. But obviously, Gideon has felt and has been subjected to the suppression from the Midianites, and so he goes into hiding. This was a site marked full of fear, full of discouragement, and of little faith. And on the surface, we might be like, ah. Oh, Gideon, why are you such a chicken man? You ran away and ahead. But if you honestly give it some thought, this would probably be the response of most people. Not you guys, but most people. In fact, for, again, personal is, there have been many times where I felt like running away and, and just hiding. Because to be honest, sometimes hiding's easier. Hiding's easier. We just don't have to deal with things. And if we hide for long enough, then surely, surely it will just disappear. It's like this message this morning. Honestly, on top of everything that I had to do this week, oh, it would have just been easier to hide. But do you know what, church? Jehovah Emeka. Jehovah Emeka, the Lord, is with us. In case you have ever wondered if God had a sense of humor, we can look at verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I mean, do you think God was being sarcastic in this moment? 
Or do you think that God saw more in Gideon than Gideon saw in himself? And I believe God saw what he was about to make of Gideon, and it was time that Gideon saw that as well. Can I, can I ask you, as children of God, do you know who you really are? Because often one of the biggest lies we tell ourselves is God only uses special people to do his work. And I want to break that this morning and say that is one of the biggest lies from the pits of hell. Have a, have a listen to this list. If you are a born-again believer, you are God's child. John 1.12. You are his friend. John 15.15. 15. You are his masterpiece. You have been justified. You have been freed forever from condemnation. You are adopted into his family. You are a citizen in heaven. You belong to God. I love this. Never to be separated from his love. God knows who you are even if you don't. And he wants to help you. How? By being with you to truly see your true identity. God sees more in yourself than you see. God sees more in you, sorry, than you see in yourself. Why? Because he sees himself with you. Number three, know that his presence always comes with his promise. His presence comes with his promise. After being called a mighty warrior, Gideon questions God. Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened? And where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about? This is the problem. Gideon reckons that God has abandoned them. Then God said something that must have absolutely shattered Gideon's thinking. He says, go in the strength that you have. Am I not sending you? Basically, God is saying, Gideon, go, because I've never left you, and so you still have the strength. Gideon still doesn't do the math, so he continues just to note how unimpressive his resume is. I'm the weakest in my family. My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe. I do not have the authority to call the shots in my own family, let alone calling the shots to anyone else. But God continues and he confirms his presence in his promise. He says in verse 16, I will be with you and you will strike down Midian as if it were one man. You see, Gideon is given the commission. He's told the incredible results in advance and he's promised the unrivaled partnership of the Lord himself. The same goes for us. We have been invited into partnership with God. We have been told the results in advance, which are overwhelmingly in our favor. And yet so often we just fail to put on our togs. Chad's rugby example. We fail to put on our togs and step onto the field simply to claim victory. So what is it then? I want to ask, what are some of the things that we could have built up that prevents us from stepping into what God has called us? And again, whenever someone says into what God has called us, please hear me. You do not have to become a stand-up pastor to step into what God has called you. Actually, if we have the revelation of any of these Jehovah's, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Nizi, then this should actually emanate from us to others. People should be able to look at us and say, surely God is with them. Surely they're doing this in God's strength. Surely. 
So what is it then? What is preventing us from stepping into what God has called us? Is it the fear of man? Is it possibly busyness? Laziness, possibly? I encourage us this morning, let's bring it before the Lord and let's deal with it. Let's not hide away from those things. Will it stir things up? Absolutely. Will it make us feel uncomfortable sometimes? Absolutely. But I believe God will honor those who honor him. It happens for Gideon. Isaiah 43, 1-2 says, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. When I, uh, when I read about fire, I'm always reminded about those three blokes that we read about in the Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if any of you are expecting a baby on the way, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, great names. But reminded that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had basically set up this idol and said, whenever I blow the horn or ring the triangle, I don't know what it was, but he said, I want you to bow down to this, uh, this idol that I've created. But these guys said, no, it's... They said, in the face of oppression, we will not bow down to this idol that you've created. So the king said, no problem. Into the furnace you go. But this wasn't any kind of furnace as well. This furnace was made seven times hotter than normal. In fact, when some of the guards were leading, escorting the guys up to the furnace door, some of them were burned up outside the furnace. That's how hot it was. And yet I believe they had such a clear revelation of God is with us that they were not harmed in that furnace. In fact, the scriptures actually denote that there was a fourth person walking around in the furnace with them. God was with them. God isn't going to save you before the fire or the tough time, but can I say that he's going to walk through the fire with you because he is with you. You shall not be burned up because Jehovah in Mecca. Remember, and I'm sharing all my secrets this morning, remember going on on my first outreach here at Outlook Church, I think it was about seven years ago, and I'm sure many of you will remember Barnard and Eloise. Barnard was leading the team, and uh, I'd committed to a date, and the date came, and I stuck to it, even though I wasn't keen to go still. And uh, I mean, going on a church outreach with people you don't know, and you've like, literally just joined the church, wasn't my idea of fun. But hey, at least I was only going just to observe. I wasn't going to, you know, preach or something, so... It was fine. How wrong I was. Day number one, and Barnard's busy splitting everyone into groups, and hey, there's your group, and there's your group, and we're probably about 12 in a group. And I remember I was paired with Marianne. Marianne, I don't know if Marianne's here this morning, but hey, that's like a serious warrior for Jesus, eh? And then Barnard said, hey, Scott, won't you lead that group, please? And right in that moment, I remember I felt like I was in that furnace with those three blokes. Honestly, and, and let me tell you, it was seven times hotter than any other furnace I had been in. But can I say, still to this day, that was truly when I felt that God was with me. Because I couldn't do that by myself. Not that I did anything special. I hope those people are still fine that we went and prayed for, but... Honestly, the way I was feeling to, to the end of the day 
only God could, could have graced me with that. The big idea is this. So often we expect refining outside of the fire, but true refining happens inside of the fire. But God is in the fire with you, and He's the one busy refining you. His presence comes with His promise. And lastly, know that true victory comes through God's strength, not our strength. So here we have Gideon finally excited and keen to go and take on this army. He puts his shoes on, he puts his tackies on, and he heads out and he says, I'm ready to do this. He gathers his army and God says, uh-uh, you have too many guys. You have 32,000 men. I need you to reduce them. So he gives them two tests. Test number one reduces the army from 32,000 all the way down to 10,000. That's 22,000 soldiers gone. At least I have 10,000 soldiers, Lord. Ah, too many, Gideon. Test number two, please take them down to the water. Make them drink. If they stick their heads into the water and they drink like dogs, they need to go. But if they use their hands and they lay the water up and they drink from their hands, those are the ones I want you to fight the army with. Can you imagine the shock of Gideon walking and counting? Disqualified, 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 disqualified. Oh, qualified, disqualified, disqualified. Because out of the 10,000, how many was Gideon left with? 300. 300 people. Now, chapter 8 tells us the Midianite army was 135,000 men strong. Gideon now has 300 left. That's 450 soldiers against one of Gideon's soldiers. Can you imagine how Gideon felt in that time? And all we know about the 300 soldiers that he has is that they know how to drink politely. (laughs) But you see, God, God created a moment of human weakness so that he could exalt his own strength. God created a moment of human weakness so that he could exalt his own strength. What did Jesus say in Luke 18.27? What is impossible for people is possible with God. Now we're going to read that quite carefully. What is impossible for people is possible with God. Now it doesn't say for God, it says with God. Because can I say that God is not going to do it himself, but he's going to do it through you because he is with you. Good morning. Either it's good or he's coming to see what the noise is about. (laughs) Accomplishing God's purpose is not determined by our bank account balance. It's not determined by how much time we have. Not determined by the size of our church or how well Quinton or Chaz preaches or how good the coffee is. Sure, some of those things are important. But the truth is God is looking to glorify himself here on earth through people who are fully dependent on him and who understand that he's with you, Jehovah Emeka. God doesn't actually need a majority vote on this either. In actual fact, he does not require us, but he has invited us to join him on his team. Sin separated us from God's closeness, but through his mercy and his love for us, he made a way that we could be back 
on his team. How? Really glad you asked. Through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. We have been invited back onto team with assured victory. But can I say, church, we do need to rock up and we do need to put our togs on and we do need to step on that field. If we don't, we simply hand in victory to the other side. We know we have been called into something as well. Quentin touched on this last week. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpieces. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he has called us to do long ago. And one of those great things Jesus left us was the Great Commission. And, and I think so often we miss the word commission. He didn't just send us on a mission. He sent us on a commission because he's saying, I'm with you, Leanne. I'm with you, Chaz. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And here it is. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our Father in heaven is a Father that wants to be near to us. Yes, yet he, he, he might not be here physically to lead and guide us by the hand, but He has left us so many promises, and in His promises, we find His presence. In Him, we are more than conquerors, not because we are strong, but because He is strong. We have been given access to the Father's presence through the work of Jesus Christ. Our job to simply wholeheartedly trust in that work on the cross and believe that that is sufficient for us. I don't know what fire you might be in today, you guys online. I don't know what mountain you might be facing, be it a health, a financial one, a time one, a busyness one, I don't know. But I do truly pray this morning that this revelation of God as Jehovah in Mecca would settle in our hearts. That you would know that he would never leave nor forsake you. As children who love Jesus, we have been assured the great advocate as well. The Holy Spirit, who Jesus said as well, will never, ever leave us. Church, can I remind you this morning, Jehovah in Mecca, Jehovah Emeka. I know sometimes it's difficult to see, but Jehovah Emeka. God is with each and every one of you as you continue to trust in His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Why don't you stand with me, please?